Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends and peers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got so confident. In this episode, I Skype with actor, writer, director, comedian, and musician Echo Kellum. We talk about sharing your true self more, being bold and wrong versus tentative and right, working on multiple things at once, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Echo Kellum. Hey, Echo. What's up? What's up? How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Just trying to stay busy, stay afloat. Likewise. Uh, Thanks for chatting with me today. I really appreciate you. Of course. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, So this podcast is sort of my quest to develop more confidence as a human. And uh, (laughs) so I've been chatting with friends and peers and just sort of delving into how they became the confident uh, adults that they are today. And uh, so I'm pumped to talk to you because you're such a confident man. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I don't view myself as that. You don't? Like, I don't. I really, uh, I have a, I'm very self-conscious in a lot of ways. I'm not very confident, even though I, I can see people's perspective that I come off confidence because I'm bold and I just go for whatever. I, I don't let my fear dictate my life or control anything I do in it but it's definitely there and present and the nerves and the subconscious thoughts and uh you know uh am I good enough do I look good enough all that stuff still percolates for sure you know um it's not to say that I can't appreciate things that I think I do well and that I can't you know um you know, uh, look at those and reflect and be like, whoa, you're, that's pretty dope that you're pretty good at that, you know, and mm-hmm. acknowledge that. But there's a, a part of me that I'm hesitant to be confident about things because I feel like it lends too close to cockiness. Mm. And I have uh, not despised, but I've greatly unliked cocky people in my life, braggadocious type people in my life. So there's a world where I pull back from confidence to course correct to make sure I'm not going that far. But I have to be careful to be like, well, don't let not confidence become something that makes you feel like you're less than. Right. And then it's like, how do we, what's the difference between confidence and cockiness? Yeah. I think cockiness is being like thinking you're better than someone else. And confidence is acknowledging that you're dope at something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, Cause it's okay to acknowledge our dopeness, right? It's okay to acknowledge that we're cool or can, can be talented at something, but cockiness is being like, yeah, I'm so great that I can like beat anyone or like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm better at you than that. And like, I, I should have more than this cause how good I am. Right. I feel like that's the cockiness aspect. Yeah. But you never come off like that from an outsider. You never come off as you think you're better than anybody else ever. Um, well, it's because I don't. Think I <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I literally, I'm like, we're all equal, man. Yeah, like, man. That's how I feel. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like just little, little things like when we're in line for, when we break for lunch, when we're working on sets and things like I, I don't like to skip the line. It just feels so weird. Now, sometimes they're like, no, you need to go because you guys got to flip around and mm-hmm. come back. I'm like, okay. But like, I'm doing like, 
we're all just human beings waiting for lunch. I, I shouldn't have preference right. because I'm an actor or a producer or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, well, I'll get it. But those days are over. Don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> number one. <laughs> uh, no more, no more uh, buffet lines. For, no more buffet lines. Uh, but, you know, I, I used to be a server. and You I were a server with kinda... my old roommate. Did you know this? Who? who? Kayla, Kayla Compton. Wait a minute. Yeah. Kayla's your roommate? Yeah, for like when I first moved to LA like seven years ago, she was my roommate Whoa. for like years. She was like the only roommate I've ever had in LA. Whoa. We went to middle so... school, middle school and high school together. <sighs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And now she's on Flash, right? Yeah, she's in the yeah. family. Yeah, it's so cool. Which is so tripped out that like we both went from your mommy burger to being on DC show. <laughs> Isn't that wild? So wow, life she's is so great. Crazy. She's so awesome. Such a great person. Yeah, she was always. Yeah, she started off as a host. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, uh, she came in right as I was like kind of leaving. I probably was under there for like three or four months, and I was like only. I think I was only working the weekends by the time she came there. I was working like Saturday and Sunday mornings. But yeah, she was always so nice and kind. And, she's really cool. Yeah, just really great. Yeah. Sorry, mm -hmm. I, we digress, but I had to throw that in there. Um, yeah, throw that in. Throw that in. <laughs> and now I can't remember what you were talking about. You were saying you worked at. Umami. She was always cocky. Now she was always confident. Not cocky. Confident. Confident. Not cocky. You messed it up. She, I interviewed her, and she doesn't think she's confident either. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. How, who's the most confident? Who's the person that came here and was like, yeah, I'm fucking confident. What's up? No like, one. Anybody? No one, really. And I think that, and let me tell you why I think that is, and I'll probably get heat for it. I have interviewed mostly women, and okay. so, and that's, you know, by not on purpose. I guess it's just like who I feel comfortable, most comfortable talking to. Um, right. And like, I've obviously asked friends first. And then once I had like some episodes under my belt, I started kind of going to friends of friends and, and that sort of thing. And most of my friends right. are women. So, um, but yeah, I, it's interesting to hear a woman's perspective. It seems to be different than a man's perspective most of the time. And I don't want to gender the issue of confidence. Everybody has their own experience with it. But I know that, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, I was definitely not raised with confidence. I was more raised with um, sort of placate to the room, make the room comfortable was sort of like the thing that was told to me. And so... I am really great at making the room comfortable now, but then at what expense is that for me personally? I don't know. And so that's something that I'm sort of figuring out, but I know that confidence was not something that was instilled in me. Um, right. Was confidence something that was instilled in you growing up as a kid? No. Uh, no. And I, I feel like the main reason behind that yeah. was, I never got the girl I was into. <laughs> like, they would just be like, and it wasn't like I was like aiming for the best. I was like, be realistic, Deco. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's aim for someone in the middle and someone you could probably get. And I would still do that. And they'd still be like, ew, no. And I'm like, okay, sure. Wait, where so, are you like, from? Where are you like, from? Chicago. Okay. Chicago. But I was always like, I was never the cool guy in class. I was always more the nerdy guy in class, guy who was like into video games and comic books and computers and alternative rock sometimes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the, I'm from an all, like, all black, you know what I'm saying, neighborhood with all black schools. So they were always like, man, what's yeah. up with this dude? You know how, how did that impact you? 
Um, Being like the nerd in school. Not to call not you that. The easiest school. Period. I don't think, regardless of whatever school you go to, especially back in those days, I wonder how our nerd's cool right now. Uh, but in those days, being a nerd was just not good. Right. You did not want to be that. And all my friends, we all were just the nerds at school. We were just like, you know, blurred, black nerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we want to come to school and talk about X-Men and, you know what I'm saying, do our in living color impressions and, you know, fresh print stuff. And, you know, it was just, but it was just different from whatever everybody else was like, you know, more probably into like Tupac and poetic justice. And we're talking about like power Rangers. You know what I'm so it was like just a different dichotomy. And there was just a lot of much more cooler guys, you know what I'm saying? than me growing up, I was also just an art nerd, you know, like I was very big into actors and knew I wanted to act and would do, you know, church plays and things like that. So it just wasn't, uh, indicative of being cool in school and getting a confidence, I believe, from the community because it was just different and people looked at it like it was a little weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How did you deal with uh, that? Well, thankfully, I had a great core group of friends that were all similar to me. And so we all just leaned on each other and just had each other's back. Fully, like, we all, like, fought with each other. Like, you know, we'd have, like, grandiose battles in school like be four of us against like three of the like older kids and we like have these big fights in the playground you know what i'm saying and we usually get our ass whooped but like we were nerds but we stood up for ourselves you know what i'm saying we weren't just like okay oh, take my lunch money right, you know right, it's right, like right. you're not taking my lunch money then they beat us up and then eventually take the lunch money <laughs> yeah, but yeah, after yeah. we got a few licks in you know what i'm saying it just wasn't like take it you know for sure uh, so you find that like like having that core support system was helpful for you in in your confidence or in building your confidence a hundred thousand percent because i got to be around people who were similar who i thought were dope and them being dope was a part their personality is a big part of why they were dope so i was like well if they're dope then maybe i'm kind of cool too and in the aspect of being like it's okay to be yourself right now this is something i'm still learning to be more confident with being me being unabashedly me being okay with saying who i am and not judging it and not giving a fuck what anybody else thinks that's dope now that's confidence that i'm fucking rocking out with and that i'm trying to lean into more now like even just like you know, like, uh, I don't really date a lot, but, like, even when I have dated in the past, especially, like, before the quarantine and stuff like that or whatnot, like, just being honest that I'm a nerd was something I was not comfortable doing for a couple years. I would kind of hide that, and then maybe they'd see, like, my Dragon Ball picture on my phone. I'm like, what? What Dragon Ball picture? What'd you say? Uh, I don't know. I see nothing. You know, but, but leaning into who I am and being, like, either someone will love me for me or they won't. And coming off that same way with how I approach everyone, friends, fans, how I approach my social media and share things. I'm like, there is such a big part of me. It was like, well, I got to chase what they want. And if I don't post what they want or if I don't do what my friends want or whatever, then uh, who knows if they'll really like me for me. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? But the truth is, is all the dopest people, the people I look up to the most, the people I think are awesome and amazing artists and whatnot are unabashedly themselves. Mm -hmm. And whether they care what people think or not, they do what they feel is true to themselves. Like Logic is one of my favorite rappers. He comes off like the most confident, dopest dude in the world. But when you actually parse his lyrics and hear what he's talking about, 
constantly talking about his depression, constantly talking about his anxiety, constantly talking about the fears he faces and things like that, even though he is probably, in my book, one of the most talented rappers in the last 10, 15 years. You know what I'm saying? But that's important, I think, to know that we're all human. We're all dealing with these aspects and that regardless of where we are in life, we can carry through them too. You know, so that's a big thing that I'm trying to do is like be confident in myself and share more of that because I do have a platform, like share more of that with fans and people so that they know it's okay if they feel those things too, right? And I'm trying to pay it for it. Yeah. How do you cultivate that? How do you cultivate being confident in your own skin or like being authentic to you? How do you like develop that I don't give a fuck, I'm going to be who I am. If you like it, great. If you don't, great. Like, do you do anything personally to, like, help you with that? I, you know what I've, I've started to do that has helped? I've just started to share a little more about mm. things I would never share with, things that I would never have ever felt comfortable giving people or showing. Like, like I did a, this I, – I, I didn't think too much about this post. I just thought it was like, man, this is important for people to see. Like, you know, I'm, I'm starting my music journey as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And – I have like no followers on Spotify or anything like that. And I wanted to share that with people just to be like, we all start somewhere y'all and it's all good. And would like, could someone look at this post and laugh? Oh, this, this dude sucks. Oh my God. It's actually, he's oh, man, you have no fans. Damn. Oh shit. You know, like, of course in my whole life, that type of thought will always hold me back from sharing something like that. It would always be like, Nope, I can't. But now I'm like, you know what? Who gives a fuck? You know, if, if I'm sticking with this and I'm and if I'm confident in my ability and okay to share the ups and downs in two years because I'm sticking with it, th- this will be like a point we look at and be like, whoa, remember when you just had 34 listeners, dude, and you shared it and it was like, you know, not easy for, for me being somebody who generally does not try to share a lot of my personal life on social media. And I've been trying to do that more lately. Uh it felt good afterwards just yeah. to be like, fuck it. You know? And like, I post about video game stuff now sometimes because I'm just like, I'm into that. Yeah. Xbox, Xbox just bought fucking Bethesda today. And I was like, yo, I'm posting about this. Why not? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is something, but generally that was something I would push back on. Be like, no, don't share because that's not cool. People won't, you know, but it's like, who cares? What's cool. Just be yourself. And I think by being yourself, the confidence that comes from just being yourself, not trying to be some dope, awesome person, but confident just being you, that shit is attractive. That shit pulls people in. That gets people wanting to engage. That gets people wanting to, like, really be engrossed in you because you are authentic, you know? So I think I'm getting more into that phrase where I am trying to get more confident and being okay with being myself and sharing that. Yeah, it's like, it's vulnerability, isn't it? It's like... Your willingness to be vulnerable with whoever you interact with, whether it's a big platform or not. And for some reason, vulnerability seems like it's kind of been frowned upon, at least in previous generations. It's like strength has been valued, in my opinion, over vulnerability, at least in previous generations. And I like to think that new generations, it's a little little bit different and we're, we're putting more importance on mental health and things like that. But it's so wild to me that strength is a more, or at least previously more valued trait than vulner, than vulner, than vulnerability, which is like 
to me is like the vulnerability is the greatest thing ever. I like, I don't yeah. like having surface conversations because I'm like, like, where does this get us? Like, we don't grow yeah. as humans. So like, who fucking cares if it's like yeah. 90 degrees outside? I don't care. What, how was your day? Like, did, what did you encounter today? That was hard. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. I think that's much more. It's also relatable. Yeah. It's also so, because we're all dealing with shit. Yeah. Always. we really. No yeah. one's not dealing with trials and tribulations in life. And that's where we grow and learn. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yes. like, and sharing that stuff is important to know that we're not in it alone, Absolutely. you know? So, okay. Yeah. So you grew up in Chicago and then um, you went to high school there and then you graduated high school and then what? Yeah. I went to, um. I did a little city college and whatnot yeah. in high school. I mean, um, Chicago. And then I kind of just focused more on acting, uh, just like theater work around the city. Uh, I, I mean, I was an actor. I was doing theater work since I was in grade school, like yeah. since I was 13, pretty much in eighth grade. Uh, I stepped away from a little bit, like life stuff just kind of happened. And then like, just got back into storefront theater and stuff like that. And, little improv commercials here and there and got an agent and just like kept trying to build up there and was fortunate enough to like book a few commercials and whatnot and take care of my family and then stayed up enough to move out to LA. Oh, cool. Um, what yeah. did you experience anything in that like growing time from high school to like moving to LA that was hard for you or that like shook your confidence at all? Um, or I guess it could be yeah, after I mean, you moved to LA too. I mean, there was, yeah, there's been plenty of instances in life that have definitely shaken up things from breakups to changing my religious viewpoints and losing all my friends. Oh, wait, to, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I just grew up very religious. Like, my mother's side of family is Pentecostal, non-denominational, evangelical, and Baptist. And my okay. dad's side of the family is Jehovah's Witnesses. So I was just pulled in between both factions a lot of my life yeah that sounds really and, hard though yeah it was i mean um yeah <laughs> it's hard for sure uh i think anything with like family stuff family dynamics for me in my life is always challenging because it's just like yeah. butting heads and conflicting so when you put in something that's like very important to people like religion it sounds like it can be tough yeah no it definitely was tough as a kid, I'm not very religious anymore. Uh, you know, I still pray and still consider myself spiritual, uh, but I'm not a big fan of organized religion at all. And I completely understand agnostic or atheist point of view too, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, there's just been a lot of points where definitely my confidence has been shaken, where they're coming very close to, you know, uh, booking a gig or having an opportunity and then it gets taken away at the last second, you know, um, there are things that can shake your soul. Uh, some of what, what's what's interesting is the more success you get, the bigger those moments are, mm. right? Mm. So, for instance, something that might have shaken my core uh, 10, 15 years ago was going to an audition and not having a great audition and my confidence being shaken to being like fudge man i'm never gonna get that commercial because i sucked you know mm -hmm. uh but now things that confidence are oh man i was offered that job totally offered the job and then they called me back two hours later and rescinded because the president of the network said no mm -hmm. 
so you're like, oh, there was actually money on the table mm. <laughs> and something I thought I officially had 100% and then got pulled away from me. Then you're like, oh, I must really suck then. Like, wow, damn, holy shit, I'm t- garbage. Or, you know, testing for seven pilots in a year and not booking any of them. And you're like, whoa, happy that you get the test and like, whoa, that very fortunate. But when you can't pull the job, you're just like, what's wrong with me like am I just not good enough or and especially when it's like the potential of you know seven years of work is there and you see the contract and it's potential millions of dollars and you're just like boom so it's like the stakes are rise are are risen but the thing that's important is also being like you know what it is what it is and it's got to keep pushing and I'm not gonna let that shake me or knock me out my stride so that's been important and something that's taken me time to build because there were moments in my career where if I I lost a big gig like that, that I was so close to that I could taste, it would mess up, mess me up mentally for months. There was a gig I was so close to getting. It came down to me and Ethan Hawke for this gig. <laughs> Crazy. Nuts. Uh, and it's a voiceover gig, a campaign, a full campaign for American Express. I'm not going to lie, a few years ago. Full campaign to be the next voice of American Express. And I mean, I'm at the point where I'm talking to CFOs and, you know, fifth audition. And it's like, it's like, holy shit, this could really happen. And there's 40 spots and a million dollar contract and all this shit. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And then you lose it. And then you have to see that commercial on air every day during basketball, during whatever. And you have to just be like, <laughs> whoo, gotta shake it off and just keep pushing but you also realize like that would have changed my life like completely would have changed my life especially in the voiceover landscape like and i it would have been just like whoa you know uh but then i have to have the confidence to just be like that is a part of the game and those bigger opportunities are going to come up and the fall is going to be harder when you don't get it but it's also nice to have the opportunity and man what a place to be in that you have a shot at that you know what i'm saying so that's the perspective I had to learn from having big losses like that, that it's okay, that you can bounce back and that you shouldn't let that get you stuck in a rut or feel like you can't come out of it. But I, I, improv teachers used to tell me this really important thing. He's like, David Rosowski was his name. He's fucking amazing. One of the best improvisers I've ever met in my life. He would say, after you have a bad show, he's like, give yourself five minutes, deal with it, process it then shake it off and keep fucking moving. That's all you get. You get five minutes. And he might even say five seconds, but I think he said five minutes. So you get five minutes to sulk, and then it's done. Done, done, done. Let's keep moving. And I was like, damn, that's so true. Okay, fine. I'll give myself a little time to sulk, and then I got to push forward. and can't stop. But those things did affect my confidence. When those things happened in the earlier parts of my career, it, I wouldn't write if I, I got really close to selling a pilot to Fox and then, you know, we were redeveloping it and whatever. And then eventually they passed and I didn't write for two years. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Cause I was like, man, I'm a suck. What the hell? You know? And so having to change my mindset and be like, it's okay. L's are going to happen. You just got to keep pushing and keep grinding. And I think a big, a big reason why I was able to do that is I stopped putting all my oh. baskets. I stopped putting all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. I started branching out. Andy Warhol's quote was so important to me. It's quite, and, I, and I'm going to butcher this quote a little bit, but it's something like, I never give myself a chance to see what critics think about my art because I'm always working on my next piece, mm. right? And so I'm constantly on a what's next. Like, I'm about to release an EP in, like, 
10 or 11 days, I don't know, however many, I've already written my next EP. I have to record it. I'm about to start working on my third EP. So before I release any album, anything, I want to have my next album written. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like already on to the next thing. So people will have a response to this, but I'm already like excited to share my next EP. I'm like, cool, I'm putting this EP out, but man, the stuff I have my second EP, I'm so excited. So it's like having that perspective. So even though I put this out and people are like, trash, garbage, man, not good, whatever, whatever. I was like, well, wait till you see what's next. Yeah. Even though Andy says I shouldn't be listening to those people. <laughs> but it is that that perspective of like, well, what's next? Let me make sure I cannot be heartbroken like that. Yeah. Because I'll never have my full heart into one thing like that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. then what did you do like in the time, this is just for example, but like in the time um, after you wrote something and then I think you said Fox passed or something and then you had two years yeah. where you didn't write. Like what did you do during that time to like, to like soothe well, yourself well, see, or... i was fortunate i mean look this is this is the other thing i, I was very fortunate and uh, I'm, I'm a multi-hyphenate right mm -hmm. so that destroyed me but i just booked a series that i was acting on so i was able to keep myself distracted through other art through at least acting and this is like when i first booked i think arrow or something i just booked some things and it was like okay and then i just put like i just sold like, the thing with Fox didn't happen, but then I just sold a show to Comedy Central. You know what I'm saying? So it was, like, other things. Helped. I, I didn't write that show. I was, like, EP and right. the star of it. You know what I'm saying? So, but it was just, like... So you always just have another thing going on. I try... Yes. And even, like... Obviously, we can't control if we're going to be on series and things like right. that. But what I can't control, if I'm writing a screenplay, I can't control the fact that I'm writing my, my next screenplay. My story's already broken down for it. Mm -hmm. I can't control for the fact that when I sent that out, I finished my vomit pass on this or that I'm directing some short coming up. It's like, so my, I have a directing and writing partner. We usually have four projects we're working on at one time, always simultaneously. Wow. So when one thing falls off, we put something else on the, on, on its plate. Right. Yeah. So this pandemic, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, let's see, what are we working on right now? We directed music videos for my music, which is great. Yeah. Uh, we are finishing up our third feature film to get our next draft out to them. We've already written the vomit pass for our fourth feature, right? It's trash, but it needs, it needs work, but we've already written the vomit pass for that. We're getting up for a short film we wrote last year that we need to rewrite that we're going to shoot in November. Uh, and we are currently pitching a animated, uh, cartoon that we made, right? So that aspect of like, not trying to stretch yourself too thin, right? You have to be careful yeah. to make sure you can put focus and attention toward things. But the reason why having a partner is helpful is that we can tackle multiple projects at once and do things just a little differently. So I think it's important to definitely spread yourself out yeah. in this industry because this industry, you can make the, you can write the most perfect script that's so amazing and so thought provoking and needs to be made and no one's ready for it this year. Sorry. No, we're not buying those type of scripts right now. It's brilliant. It's great. Wow. But you know, we're just not buying that right now. We're trying to do the romantic YA thing. And then it's like, okay, cool. Uh, but that's that thing where you just have to keep fucking pushing. Ari Aster is one of my favorite directors. Currently he, he did, um, hereditary, yeah. you know, midsummer fucking amazing. Yeah. He made the short film that was so fantastic. And then he got an agent. Great, perfect. Sent the agent a script. Great, it's amazing, it's amazing. Hereditary was his first film, right? Mm -hmm. That was his ninth feature he wrote. 
Ninth feature took him seven years to get to make that. But it just shows you that, like, if, if he would have just put every act into that first script and everyone said no, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to rewrite it. And I'm going to make sure it's the best. And you know what? Fuck it. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, but now you're taken away from all the other potential great things that you could have. Like, hereditary can't exist because you're so caught up in having all your eggs into this one thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely give it love. Give it what it deserves, the attention to make sure it's great. Don't half-ass it because you're doing seven things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you should have other things, in my opinion, to yeah. stave away from heartbreak and broken confidence. Yeah. Yeah, that goes yeah. hand in hand with, like, this idea of, like, non-attachment to outcomes. It's it's one of the things I've, I've been reading about that is helpful with, like, cultivating confidence. It was, like, this article about seven different things, and one of them was practicing non-attachment. And it's, like, reveling in the process rather than uh, doing it for a specific desired result because when that result doesn't happen, then you lose all your confidence. So if you're just attached to the process of doing the thing and not so much the result, you don't have yeah. you don't have to experience that loss because your all of your enjoyment is like doing the thing, which I yeah. think is like huge. Yeah. Um, but very hard to do in indus- any industry, but especially this industry because you want that job, you want that million dollar Amex commercial. Yeah. You know? So like it's it's very okay, hard, but sure. practicing that's important, and it's like at least for that Amex commercial, it's like, well, I wonder what, do you, do you have like a mindset of like, maybe not everything happens for a reason, but like, like if you did book that, like things would have been different in your life or like accepting that, like it was for the best that you didn't book it. Or is that like, are you just like, no, I wish I booked it. I want a million dollars. Well, yes, that the latter part, definitely. But (laughs) the aspect that like everything does happen for a reason, and I finish up that with, but it doesn't have to be a good reason. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it could have been a bad yes. reason to happen for, like, oh, no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so I, I, I am definitely from the mindset, man, give me that, and I will figure out the reason. You know what yeah. I'm <laughs> that would have been a house. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. let's go. You know? <laughs> uh, and then it just would have been nice just because um, as a voiceover actor, it would have just taken me to the next level in my voiceover acting career. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, that he's that's Echo. He's a voice, especially within the industry. Like people from the outside would probably not know Tom Dick from here. Like, right, oh, right, right. Express voice. I don't know. But the people within the voiceover world would be like, oh shit, Echo, cool. Yeah, maybe we can have him on this campaign later, or you know, like it opens up that world. What's like, oh, this is completely, you know, teaching someone how to fish, and then them being able to reap rewards from that. These are one of those gigs where like you might never look back in your voiceover career life. So it was like thinking of that perspective of being like the opportunities that it could have opened up, the doors it could have opened up. That that was a really hard thing to bounce back from. And also this is happening from a person who's on a series <laughs> as an actor, completely living his dream, right? And it still shook my confidence to its core, right? right. I'm already doing my dream job, you know what I'm saying? Which yeah. I should totally be just fully happy and content with. But then all these other things can still happen and still shake you. Yeah. You know? I think it goes. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like you set a goal and when you get it, you always want more almost. Not you, the like collective you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, at what point do we accept that like confidence is an internal thing and doesn't come from external external gratification or whatever it doesn't come from a paycheck but it comes from the feeling we got when we did the thing i don't know it's so hard but like i feel like that's something that that i need to work on i feel like as humans we're just so adaptable 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. We adapt so quick. Like, look, like even now, like Corona, we're like really literally adapting to the pandemic. We're like, yeah, okay, well, I guess I'll just go to the patio on Saturday and then I'll just drive down to Zuma Beach and, you know, have a social distance, like little hang. And then I'll, you know, do my Zoom call at seven. And then in the morning, I'll have my, my, the world is in drink. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Like, totally. Everyone's like, just we, we adapt so quickly. So then we, think oh god i have this but what else oh no yeah. right i think there's like that perspective that's like oh no because like 10 years ago i would have been happy to have one commercial on the air right you know just one i would have been like oh my god my life is so amazing and like whoa you know and then i'm like well i've done 50 episodes of tv and i'm sad about not getting a commercial right. you know what i'm saying so it's like right fuck you know? So it's like, how do we, yeah, it's like, okay, well, how, how can we be happy? And it's like, you, you touched on it a little bit. It's just like that gratitude aspect of like, is like being grateful or taking a moment in your day to show gratitude. I don't know if you meditate yeah. or what journal or whatever your process I is. I try to meditate. And, and to me, like meditation is like, take 10 minutes yeah. of your time and just close your eyes. and med- You don't have to be like, you know, uh, asanas for like, you know, three hours to be like, now I'm at it. I'm like, whatever works for you, just take a moment to yourself, close things off and just, you know, connect if you can. So that's important to me. I generally like to try to do that in the morning when I first wake up and before bed, generally, um, because it just kind of helps soothe me. And I think clear me, clear space for me in the day, uh, for the rest of the day and for the night. Um, so you just like so take like, two, like you take like two minutes or something. Five to ten minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just like I'll set like a little timer and I just yeah. close my eyes, you know, or I'll play like some ambient music in the background, close my eyes. But you consistently do that every day. I try to do it every day. Some days I miss. I would I would say more like three times a week consistently. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I would love to do it every day. And you find it helpful. I do. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think it helps clear me, settle, uh, uh, center me a little bit. You know? Totally. Yeah. I really, yeah. I try mm-hmm. to do, but my meditations are a little bit longer, but I've been, I haven't been doing them lately, but I can really feel it when I do meditate and when I don't. Yeah. Cause like yeah. I usually do like a 20 minute twice a day meditation, <clears throat> but mm. like recently I've been only hitting one or some days none. And so, and then it's like, I wonder why we don't do the things that we know are helpful for us. Right. Yeah. It's like I yeah, know that so meditating is gonna help me, but I choose to go on TikTok instead. Yeah. And it's yeah. Like, why? We don't want to go inward. It's too. It's too yeah. much for us right now. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is. It feels like it's too much work, right? Yeah. Almost to like do the right thing is too much work. Yeah, it's like I, I mean, I guess that is true though. Like, like taking care of yourself and working out. Like, it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy. And the fact. Like, it'd be different if it was, like, if you work out for six months, you have a great body for the rest of your life. They're yeah. like, okay, done. Yeah. But it's like, nope, you got to do it every day for the rest of your life. And you're like, wait, what? This is just has to be my lifestyle fully? No, that doesn't sound fair. It's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. And with, like, mental health stuff, too. It's like, okay, so you're telling me I have to go to therapy every week forever? I have to constantly uh, be working on myself. Like, when am I going to be fixed and healed? Well, yeah, why aren't I done with this? Um, right. It's a lifelong process. Yeah, y'all. man. <laughs> so with improv, 
did that help you with your confidence? Just like not being able to plan shit and having to work uh, with a with a team and like wh- what's your experience with improv and confidence? Well, improv definitely helped me in so many aspects of my life. Um, it just gets you out of your head and. You know, when you're in your head, I think is the that could be the most dangerous place to be for a human being, right? Because in our head, we demean ourselves, we tear ourselves down, we second guess ourselves, we judge ourselves. We generally, I feel like we generally aren't in our head being like, "You're cool." You know what? You make me happy. <laughs> Smiley face, hearts. Hey, you. Yeah. Because, why like, don't we? That, those things might come in there sometimes, but they feel like rarer than. You suck. Damn, look at that on your forehead. Jesus Christ. Totally. You got a big old face. You know, just like, honestly, you're just like, oh, no. I'm picking myself apart, right? <laughs> so, improv is really great to be like, don't think. Just fucking go up there and go and just slow and just let it happen. And when you um, are skilled at improv and if you're doing it for a minute and really get it, like, the instant gratification of an audience being there and, like, loving it and that's just, it feels so amazing, you know? But I also feel very, very nervous when I do improv, too. Really? Before I do improv, I'm, really? like, pretty, yeah. I'm, like, nerves, nerves central. I'm, like, oh, boy. Wait, Cause, 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 I had no idea. Your poker face is great. <laughs> yeah, poker face is good, yeah. I, every time I go up there, I'm nervous before I perform. Well, what do every you do? How, what do you do to deal with that? Usually when I get on stage, it fades. It's usually before I get on stage, right before, like, especially used to be when I'm backstage, I'm just like, just trying to breathe, trying to stretch, just trying to, like, get zen with myself. And then I go out on stage, and then it fades. Usually, and I've been very thankful for that, when I hit the stage, it just goes away. There's been, I almost had a panic attack before an improv show in the last year, which was, like, Wait, what? nuts. Tell I couldn't believe that. it. I didn't know, I didn't know what was happening. I was on our Winslow shows and just I was backstage and I just started breathing like really heavy and I was like, oh no, what's happening? I was like, oh, oh God. And, and I normally never have panic attacks. This is probably like the second panic attack I've had in my life, or third maybe panic attack. I started breathing and like started sweating uncontrollably and I just like tried to drink and I was like, oh no, fuck, I'm panicking, I'm panicking, I'm panicking. Oh my God, I'm panicking. Okay. We get out there and out there at first, I'm still like, we hit the stage and it doesn't fade and I'm like, Oh boy, oh boy, oh God, like I'm freaking out, I'm freaking out. And then the show starts and I'm like not hearing what's happening. I'm just like on the back wall, just like, like probably like doing something to my hands, like just trying to think, it's okay, oh my God, you got to push through, you got to push through. this mental, this is mental, this is mental. Then someone called me in a scene and I was like, huh? Yeah. And then it faded away. <laughs> I don't even know what was going on in the scene. I don't know what was happening prior. I just know they caught me. And so then I stepped up like, yeah, then they're just like, and we just played and just figured out whatever. But I was just like, holy shit, I was losing it. Losing it. And the only other time I felt felt that way is when I feel claustrophobic. Oh. So they and this this happened from trauma that was not even like something so crazy. They had to put me on in a uh, you know, the pace state, like when they're trying to do your face and whatever, and so they have wait to for prosthetics. Plastering for prosthetics, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. for arrow because I have to get like this thing. So they have to put me in stuff there with the little holes yeah, in your nose yeah, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And so you know I'm in there, whatever. And it's like whatever, whatever. And then I go to sleep under it, and I wake up, and I thought I was trapped in the rubble. So I started 
freaking out. They're like, hey, you're okay. You, you're okay, man. Remember where we are, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm okay. You know, they're like, let us know if you're okay. Like, if, you're, if you have a problem, squeeze your hand. I start squeezing my hand. It's like, hey, man, it's okay. Hey, we're here. We're here. And like scraping against the thing. I have them scraping against the plaza. So it feels like they're scraping to get me out from like being buried or something like that. And from that moment, and like they got me out, and I'm like, oh. I'm like holy shit. Because I went to sleep, right? And I just woke up and didn't know, completely forgot where I was. It, and it, and from that day forward, that traumatized me. That was like actual trauma that didn't happen, but my brain thought it was real. Yeah. So it had an effect on me. So the next time I got a panic, uh, the next time I felt panic, I was in a car on my way to the airport that didn't have any locks and the guy's windows were locked. So I just started feeling this sense of like panic, like that moment where I was like trapped, trapped. almost. And I was like, Oh God, like, uh, you know, and I just start sweating like crazy, you know? So it's like, I'm typically, I was never the type of person who ever have panic attacks. And then the third one was the UCB show. I wonder so why that show triggered like a trapped feeling. I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, I would love to get behind the psychiatry that I don't know why. Uh, there was definitely something about the nerves that I usually feel, and then they just spiraled out of control into panic. The nerves then turned into full-on panic. Right. Well, obviously, it doesn't always make, like, our panics don't always make sense. So it's yeah. probably, like, the same yeah. feeling, regardless of whatever physical stimuli you're experiencing, right. but it was the same internal feeling that resonated from the prosthetic experience. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, so oh. so they had to rip it off because you were having a panic attack? Well, thank God they were already taking it off when I woke up. Oh, okay. But it takes, like, it takes, like, 12 minutes to get it off Right. when they get it on. So it was a long, like, seven minutes that I was under there after I woke up. And did they, have to, to be did they have to redo it later on? No. They got th- what you needed. Thankfully, it did what it needed, yeah. Right. But the truth is, is that I could never do that again. Right. I could ne- I could never go in that through that process. If I were to ever book something, I would have to tell them, I'm literally claustrophobic now. So you have to figure out another way, because I am literally claustrophobic from that moment. Because also, I had to go get a... Uh, uh, what is it called? We have to get a CAT scan. Yeah. You have to get an MRI. You yeah. have to go into the tunnel. Yep. They had to do it in a non-claustrophobic type of tunnel, and yeah. I still freaked my shit out just from being in there. And and like they, these non-claustrophobic non-claustrophobic ones, it's just this uh, the the torso half of your body and your feet are completely out. There's more space in it, so it's mm-hmm. not as tight. But that felt so confining to me from that instance. And I was, like, freaking out even just having to be there for 15 minutes so they could do, like, this, like, x-ray on my neck or whatever. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so crazy that my brain has literally shifted. That is that so one wild. I mean, uh, that resonates with me because I had not a prosthetic experience, but I think if I had to do that, I think the same thing would happen to me. And I don't know where mine stems from, but mine is, like, with with sudden darkness, I get claustrophobic. Mm. So, like, and this is so – I think it has to do some with, like – I don't know for a fact, but I was in an abusive relationship and I think it must stem from that because it didn't happen until Mm. after I got out of that. But I was doing, um, have you ever, I'm sure you have done like a Herald scene in the dark where you're just like sitting in chairs and yeah, bat. Yeah. Bat. Yep. Um, I had to do one and I just had a panic attack and like, I, I like couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I like, I, it was just like a, private coaching with my team or whatever so it was like fine and I was like holy shit and then I had another experience with sudden darkness and now I'm like I guess I'm claustrophobic now 
But I thought that was something you were like, you always had, but I guess you just develop it. But yeah, it can happen. Maybe we were like buried alive in a past life. I think so. I think so. I'm serious though. Like, when that earthquake hit, I was like, oh God, don't bury me. Please don't bury me. Please don't bury me. Yeah. I think we were probably buried alive in a past life. That's what I'm going to say is the reason. Yeah. It probably happened. <laughs> um, okay, last oh, what question. A horrible, be- what a horrible outcome. I know. <laughs> last oh, question before that's I really like. My nightmare. I know. Truly, truly a nightmare. Um, what have you ever been given? I guess that you said the Andy Warhol quote, but have you ever been given a piece of advice that like really stuck with you, or you can't? You do. You have something you can think of. I have multiple piece of that Andy Warhol was one of my top ones another one that I live I, I love to live my life by these pieces of advice uh one is the best time to have planted a tree was 25 years ago the second best time is right now right meaning like you can cry over what you should have did 25 years ago and be like damn it I should have did that whatever or you can decide to do it right now mm. and then 25 years now you'll be like oh shit I remember when I decided to finally do this thing that I was so worried I hadn't done all my life. You know, it's like, you still got time, basically, is what I'm saying. Right. Uh, another quote, these are improv. These are quotes from improv teachers I got that I follow through with my life, too. Which yeah. Is, I just love these quotes, and they're very fantastic quotes for improv, especially. Improv rules are life rules. Uh-huh. But one of them, these are both from the same teacher, Jordan Black and Groundlings. Uh, one was, it's better to be bold and right. I mean, sorry. It's better to be bold and wrong than tentative and right. Right. And I was like, damn, that's so true. Fuck. And then his other one, an improv. And I'm like, you know what? I also apply this in life because it's, it's whatever. It's a really simple, silly quote. But, and this really holds true for improv, but mistakes are gold. Hmm. Mistakes are fucking gold. That he, he said, don't run away from your mistakes. Like, you know, they help, they teach you, and you can also use them, you know what I'm saying, yeah. in different ways, especially in improv. Like, there, my best, my best example. I've tried to teach people if I ever teach people improv, and I say mistakes ago. Uh, there was one scene we were doing where the 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 bit was an exterminator who goes to extreme lengths to exterminate bugs and whatnot. So he put a mouse on a guillotine to kill him to show the other mice that like, see, you know, he's like a very honorary guy. So then I happen to be walking by, and in my brain I'm thinking, oh, I'll be a guy who. Uh, puts like rats on pentagrams and sacrifice them to devils because that's taking it higher. Like mm-hmm. he, like I'm like sacrificing rats to demons and whatnot. And then I came in the scene and I was like, hey yo, uh you guys are looking for that Pentagon? Right? You know what I'm saying? And I was meant to say Pentagram. I said Pentagon, but my mistake became a run of these little creatures forming their own government, having their own societies, dealing with the human world and all stuff. But it's like, if I didn't make that mistake or if I had been shit scared, I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm in pentagram, God, you know, we would not have found all the gold that we were able to find because I fucked up, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So that aspect of like, cherish your mistakes, run to them, it's okay, we're gonna make them, learn from them. You know what I'm saying? At the very least, use them. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And just keep pushing with life. So that that was a cool quote that I like to live by, too. I love mm-hmm. that. Okay. I'm yeah. going to recap. I've been taking notes during our talk, and I'm going to recap Echo's tips for confidence. Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong for any of these. Oh, sure. Yeah. I always mm-hmm. love, love corrections. <laughs> love a note. Um, <laughs> okay. Be bold. Find a support. Find a core support system. Be okay with who you are. 
Remember, we're all human. Share yourself more. Be vulnerable. Gratitude, perspective change. Give yourself five minutes to be sad. Branch out. Start working on the next thing. Remember what you can and cannot control. Everything happens for a reason, but it doesn't have to be a good reason. Take a moment to yourself to meditate. Get out of your head. Do it right now. It's better to be bold and wrong than tentative and right, and mistakes are gold. Yeah, those are, can you send us? Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to hear this person talk. Who is this man with these good ideas? These are great <laughs> ideas. I think the one that, like, that is, has really resonated with me is, like, always be working on the next thing. Just always be working on something. And, like, don't just, in my opinion, it's, like, don't just do something you're not passionate about. Like, work on something that, like, you love and you're passionate about. Don't, like, force yourself to do some shit that you don't want to do just for the sake of it. Um, Yeah. Like, if you're working on, if you're finishing up your script, be breaking the story for the next idea that you want to be thinking of. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you can't do it all. And, And, you know, we have tiers with how we work. Like, one, two, three, four have importance number one gets the most of our time mm-hmm. number two three four you know in that order we open up and branch out sometimes number four might only get worked on once in that week mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying when we come to it but number one is generally whatever's number one we're working on every day for the most part number two we might come back at night or number three we might you know so not stretching yourself too thin with that obviously but making sure it's stuff that you are passionate about is fucking key because Doing a whole bunch of shit that you don't care about, you're not going to be putting out quality work anyway. Right. Totally. Yeah. Just fucking busy work. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad we were to make it work. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? I'd love to hear from listeners about things that have helped you build your confidence. Whether that's a mantra, a routine, maybe a favorite book or an event that you went through, leave it in the review section. Or if you have a question regarding confidence that you'd love to hear discussed on this podcast, you can leave that in the review section as well and I'll check it out. Thanks again.